Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me on the From Nowhere to Somewhere podcast. My name is Luke Staten. The reason behind this creation is to share words of wisdom, hope and optimism through conversation that can show us just what's possible in life. I've been truly inspired by the words I have not only listened to, but deeply heard from the people I've shared conversations with. I hope you enjoy hearing how everyday people overcome trials and tribulations and when faced with adversity, find a way to use this to their advantage. Common theme throughout, from all the different guests on the series, from wherever they are from, whatever beginning, whatever background, is they all have a desire for more from life. They all want to live a life of fulfillment. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I do creating. Thank you for joining me. Welcome everybody. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining once again. So welcome to the main guest, Paul Manny Vannon. This week's superstar guest is going to be sharing some of the most magnificent stories that I think I've had the honour, the privilege, and been very fortunate to witness and be around. Two years ago, Paul Manny Vannon was cancelling Netflix. He was trying to scrimp wherever he could as his business was going into bankruptcy. He hit rock bottom, had absolutely nothing. And I remember having phone calls with Paul, you know, the distress that he was under, you know, it was a family business. So he had the pressure of his mum, his dad, his wife and his children. And knowing where he is today, I know many of you will be wanting to ask the question of how do you go from two years ago, canceling Netflix, hitting rock bottom, your company goes into bankruptcy, you go through all those trials and tribulations, face such adversity, then two years later, you've set up a new company that's going to be close to reaching thousands of people, giving thousands of people opportunities all over the country, placing them into workplaces of their environment of which they want to be in, and also from a commercial aspect, going from cancelling Netflix, which is £11 a month, I think, for the family one, to, to having a business that's going to be close to bringing in 10 million pounds in year two and just getting started. Now, when you say that, I often say, poor Manny Bannon, cancelling Netflix at 11 pounds a month to nearly reaching 10 million pounds year two in turnover for his business, giving many, many people the opportunity not only to work within, it, within his organization, but to place people into other organizations too, literally thousands of people. Paul supported and encouraged and empowered to take jobs through this pandemic that we've been in. So without further ado, welcome to my good friend, Paul Manny Vannon. Good to see you, mate. Good to see you, Luke. Thanks for the intro. I was welling up at one point there, I think. Did I do you justice? Yeah, you did. You really did. I was surprised. I thought there might have been a couple of digs in there, but no, you're actually really complimentary. <laughs> before we get before we get into the magic answer of how do you go from where you were two years ago to where you are now because I know lots of people will be interested and, and, and I certainly am too because it's such a brilliant story how did you end up living in Bolton near Manchester in the UK how has this come about for you and your family so um, I guess it's the story of my parents really my um, my dad um, was born in Sri Lanka and, and, and emigrated over to the UK to, as a student, uh, looking to be an engineer, um, where he met my mum. Um, you can imagine that was in the sort of the 70s, 
don't know how much knowledge you guys have got about kind of what the, the landscape was like there, but it was quite a tough landscape really for a English, white English, northern woman to be marrying um, a Sri Lankan male. I think when I was listening to your story, Hasni, the other week, I was definitely seeing some some lines drawn there. It was quite a tough uh, upbringing, but uh, he came to Bolton to study. Just That was just the place. And whilst he was working here, he met my mum and the rest is history. Wow. So... Yeah. What, once your dad moved to the UK, what was what was the reason? What was why was he moving to the UK? How did that happen for him? So I mean, I mean, ultimately, I think a lot of countries, sort of um, outside of the Western society, they, they they laud the British kind of education system. It's certainly that way in Sri Lanka, and um, and I think he came here to, to create a better life. He's, he's he was he's always searching for more. Um, so, you know, wanting to do better, wanting to improve himself. Um, and he and a, a few of his siblings actually moved to the UK, some moved to the States and some, you know, to Canada. Um, and I guess it's in search of that education and that, I won't say the American dream, but the West, the Western dream, you know, that, that anybody can achieve anything, I guess. Um, because in, in a lot of these countries, certainly in Sri Lanka, there's like a caste system. So you're not really allowed to move out of that caste. So if you're at a certain level, you're never, ever going to really achieve your goals. Whereas, obviously, in Western society, um, you have this, this opportunity, I guess, to, uh, to do more. So do you get that from your dad in terms of the dreamer, the visionary then, like always wanting more, the ambition? Is that where it comes from for you? Uh, un un undoubtedly. I mean, my dad, gosh, that guy. I mean, we, we must have... I think when I was living at home, he must have started at least 10 businesses, at least, from like gemstones to when mobile phones first came out, he, he found a supplier and then he was off, into, off to China trying to start a business there. Um, he was just trying and trying and trying. And in the meantime, I mean, he'd, he'd come as an engineer, but then he failed his exams, um, he says, because of this, that, and the other, but I found out that actually it was because he liked the life too much and he got into, like, girls and stuff like that. So he basically failed his exams. Um, and and so he, he, he was, you know, ultimately he was a factory worker. He, he became a factory worker, um, but he was constantly, start, you know, trying stuff, failing, trying it, you know, put, take it, you know, take, taking loans against the house, starting something, failing, just scraping himself back. He was like, he just never, ever gave up, really, you know. Um, and I, so I think definitely my, um, although I wouldn't, I've never really thought about it when I was younger. I think my entrepreneurial kind of spirit, if you like, was born there. Um, this guy that just never gives up, never, never, never gives up. In fact, he's still doing it, right? So he's not been well. And it, we have the pandemic and everything. And he rings me up today and he's like, oh, Paul, you need to help me out. I said, what? He said, I need a marketing strategy. I said, why? He said, well, I got a thousand pound off the HMRC. And I, I basically built up a load of a load of flower pots and hanging baskets that I was going to sell. And I put something out on Facebook, but nobody's bloody rung me up. He said, <laughs> I said you're going to have to help with a marketing strategy because I need to get rid of these because I promise your mum that that will go away next year and I'm going to earn some cash off these, off these hanging baskets. So um, he's coming tomorrow. So we're going to have a bit of a brainstorm, brainstorming session to try and sell his hanging baskets. I might just have to buy them all. And we might just have to find someone to buy them all and just, just to keep him happy. That's brilliant. So he's yeah. still got that desire within him to keep yeah. creating and 
all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, just if, if, you, if you want something, you know, you've got to find some, find a supply, find a supply, find a demand, uh, put them together, try and earn some money out of it and you move on to the next thing. That's the way he always thinks. So what was it like growing up around that kind of energy? You know, because obviously setting up businesses, they're not working and then you're here, you're there, you've got idea after idea. It's sometimes quite challenging for the family, you know, as we know with yourself as well. And, and you kind of lots of your dad's traits you resemble, mm-hmm. you know, you lots of them you resemble in terms of you've got the creation, you've got the idea, you want to go with it. And then your wife's saying, yeah, hold on a minute, Paul. And you're like, yeah, all right, all right. And so you've got lots of that character there. What was it like growing up as a child, seeing that? Did it cause conflict in the household? Oh, I definitely did. I mean, like I said, he ended, they didn't end up getting great jobs. So we, we were very, very working class, um, you know, sort of two up, two down. Um, the house, it wasn't, it wasn't a council house, but it was in a, like within a council estate. So we didn't, we, he didn't have laws and he was working like every hour, God send. He was working sort of, he never came home before seven o'clock in the evening anyway. And then he'd come home and he'd be in a bad mood because obviously he was shattered, but then he'd get onto something else, you know, so he'd have something to eat and then he'd be whatever, whatever the, 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 the new gig was, he'd be on that then until late at night so yeah I think I think if I'm being honest I think he now that with 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 my children um, and he sees the grandkids I think he regrets it a little bit if I'm being honest the the the, um, the amount of time he didn't spend with with us because he was always working I remember he was always working when I was young yeah and when you was young what was your dream um I, I, <laughs> It's, again, I think it's interesting. I think I spent a lot of time with my dad when I was young. And then when he got into this work and he was really, really busy, um, I spent a lot of time then kind of finding role models around me. Um, and um, two of the, my biggest role models were PE teachers. So I ended up kind of wanting to be a teacher. Um, so I think that that that's kind of the way that I went. Um, I kind of, uh, you know, I think I lost my, my dad a little bit because he was so busy. And, and I kind of latched on to other people and, and they were PE teachers, which is, I think, where I moved into that kind of service industry type mentality. What was you like at school, Paul? Um, I'd like to say that I was like in the in crowd, if you like. Um, and I, I enjoyed school. And, and thankfully, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have a tough time, but um, I could have always done better. And, and, and I was never really into kind of... I could, um, sort of academic stuff back then and um, just wanted to play football and, and, and hang about with my mates really. <laughs> and how did that, how did that go down with your family? Ah, oh, not great. Not great. Cause that's another thing about Asian families. It's like, they just beast you constantly about having to do your work and oh, you've not done your own work. You've not done this. And, um, I didn't really pay much attention to be honest. So I was constantly at loggerheads with my dad when he was at home. I, I was just going out. I just I was just out and about. I, I was loving life to be honest. Um, I, I often say I think that education is wasted on the young. It's wasted on young people. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, since this, I went on to get a degree and a, and a master's and an executive MBA, um, and, and I've really enjoyed education since I, since I've grown up. But I think as a young man, I don't know what other people think, but I think it is wasted on young people sometimes. They don't really grasp the, you know, the gravity of, um, of learning the right stuff. Well, I think the difference is that when you've gone on to do your education 
in your adulthood, it's because there's a purpose behind it that yeah. you want to learn something which will give you something to achieve something where often when you're at school, you're told what to learn, whether you want to learn it or not. And, and often young people that I get the opportunity to work with, they don't actually know why they're learning it. They're thinking, why am I doing this? And it's like everybody, if there's not a reason behind something, you're less likely to put the effort in. And if you know there's a purpose behind it, you're going to put the work in. So you've, you've got the ability to educate. You are, you've got a thirst for personal development. You now know if I do that course, I'll be more business savvy. So I've got the entrepreneurial spirit, but I'll also have a little bit more behind the scenes of what it takes. And I think that's the difference that when you're an adult, you understand if I do that, I've got an opportunity to get this. When you're a youngster, you, you just sit there in the class thinking, why am I doing it? And there's no correlation with what you want in life to why you're doing what you're doing. And, and I think that's a great lesson for adults too, that often adults, I think when I got lost, it was, why am I doing this? You know, it, I, like there's got to be a reason to put the work in. And if you don't have a reason, when the work gets tough, you just throw the towel in like you do at school. So when you're at school, Paul, and you're thinking, I want to be a teacher, you know, fast forward a few years, how do you end up becoming a police officer then? Because I can imagine how that went down with a few of your pals when you're this character at school, always with your mates, having fun, you know, playing football. And all of a sudden you say to your pals, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a copper now, lads. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think there's a wider issue today, a wider story about service giving, about the type of person that I am, which I think will come out later on. But so I trained as a teacher, based on what we've just said there, that a lot, a lot of my my role models were teachers uh, for some reason, um, and, and I latched onto that. Um, and so I trained to be a teacher, but what happened was I got to my last year and I was on my placement as teacher training, and I got a school, it was a real bad school, and... I was just getting grief all the time, right? And it was just getting, it was just getting on top. It was, it was, it was horrific. Give us an so, example. Give us an example, Paul. What was, was your just, most, what was your most testing moment? Uh, there, there was, there was, there was a, there was a point whereby there's, there's literally like that they're, they're, they're throwing food right in, in the food hall, and I go in, I'm saying like stop, and they just turn around. And just basically threw it at me. Do you know what I mean? It was, and like, so I'm stood there, like, oh my, you know, a bit of a lad, you know, and all that. Think I'm quite cool, and I'm getting sandwiches thrown at me, cheap chicken dippers lying around my head, and all that. I'm thinking, <laughs> what am I doing here, right? So, to be honest with you, what happened was at the time, you probably won't know because obviously, you a lot of you, I don't think any of you guys joined the police, certainly not Greater Manchester at that time, but there was. So I'm finishing this. I'm thinking, I don't know if this is for me. I really don't know if it's for me. And what I thought was, I actually love the service element. I love, um, I, I want to give service, but basically I need to be able to fight back, right? So as a teacher, I'm just going to have to take this on the chin. I'm going to have to take it on the chin for the rest of my life. But GMP just uh, just launched in 2003. This, um, I think it was off, Office at 8,000. It was a massive project to increase the ranks. Um, and, and I guess, well, I don't guess, I know for a fact that I basically decided to, I, I thought I'm going to go for it because at least I know then I can give service, but if anyone gives me any cheek, I can give them a crack and get away with it. <laughs> um, and, and that was it, really. I just felt I had a bit more power with that. Um, so so, I'm, so that, that's how I ended up in the police. Really? So 
from getting thrown chicken dippers eating you on your head and you're probably thinking, imagine if your mates could see you now getting exactly. put, put, getting sandwiches thrown at your head and you just stood there and accepting that kind of behaviour. And you decide to go in the police. And once you enter the police, how, how was that for you then? Because, you know, I'm not stereotyping here. However, the, you, you're so entrepreneurial and so driven and energetic and you've got so many ideas. When you entered the police, did you feel like you were just doing a job or could you still have that freedom to grow your own ideas at the same time? Do, do you know, Luke, I thought about this and, and genuinely it was the best job in the world. I absolutely loved that job. I loved it. It changed in 2008 with everything that went on. But before that, I loved the job. And the reason why I loved it was, yeah, of course, that entrepreneurial element, I mean, you couldn't be further from, from that in the police with how constrained you are. But... What I think over, overrode it and what I think overrides it to this day is purpose. Is that once I got my foot in the door in the police and I saw the effects that you could have and how you could help, I think the purpose element for me was huge. It was, it was, it was huge. And, and I, I'll be honest, before 2008, I never saw myself ever leaving the police, which sounds strange. But at the time, there, there were opportunities pre-2008 for, for, for promotion and so I, you know I thought I, I had an opportunity to get promoted within there and earn some some decent money um and 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 I guess almost that entrepreneurial spirit had been like stuffed away for so long that um it, it wasn't jumping out anytime soon and I think more to the point that it was the purpose element I think if I'd have been doing just a, a, a not say normal job I suppose the police isn't a normal job but if it was just in a normal job which perhaps didn't have that higher purpose I would have definitely got itchy feet earlier but actually no I really really enjoyed it I loved it in fact and what was your reasoning for leaving in eventually then so in 2008 um obviously as I suppose everybody knows really the credit crunch hit here in the UK and that 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 unleashed Theresa May, who you all know now, was, was was the Prime Minister, but she was the I think she was the Home Secretary at the time, and she she unleashed a, um, just an unbelievable tirade on the police, and it was just you know character assassination really, um, and it was all down to the fact that she was going to cut the numbers, she was going to cut the pension, and yeah, sure enough, the pension was cut, um, promotion opportunities killed overnight. And it just left me in a place really whereby I was looking around, I couldn't fulfill the purpose. We were doing paperwork to do paperwork to do paperwork. We were never out on the streets. We were never really affecting anything. So that purpose had gone. Also, my, my ambitions and my, my ability to get promoted had gone. So I was like, oh, it was a bit like dead man's shoes, really. I'm thinking, oh, I need to get out of here. I'm, I'm feeling really claustrophobic now. Um, and that was from about 2008, 2009. But I stuck it out because obviously, what am I going to do? Um, but fortunately for me, my dad had, had set up the one business that actually ever worked um, in 2008. And um, around 2014, um, he, he came to me and just said, it's getting a little bit too big for me, Paul. Um, I'm getting old now. I just want to, I want to kind of, I want to take a step back. Is this something you're interested in? And he sold me the biggest lie that anyone could ever have sold anybody. He told me his business was amazing and it had loads of money in the bank and it was doing great. And um, I found out that, well, to my dismay, after I'd left the police and left this career, that um, it was nothing like that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. So then your dad sells you the dream. Mm. You, went, you went all in. You decided to leave the police. You joined the company. 
how was it when you started to realize actually the business wasn't what you thought? What, what, what did you start to realize really quickly? What was your first noticing going into that company that it actually wasn't doing as well as your first, first thought? Well, the first thing that I noticed, I remembered, was that we were old. I mean, when I say big, this business was like quarter of a million pound turnover, like four or five staff, right? So we're not talking about sort of huge numbers, um, but it was old 60 grand, like well over 60 days. Do you know what I mean? So first of all, we were old an absolute fortune that we hadn't been paid. And some of this debt was like two, three years old. So how are we going to claim it back? So... All these, these numbers that you've given me, these headline numbers, they were all including all of this debt that actually wasn't there. So the first thing that I did literally was just got, got my phone out and started ringing all these people up and saying, you've not paid your invoice. So that was the first thing that, that, that I realised. The second thing that I realised was that the biggest client that he had, the Ministry of Justice, or the company that was supplying the Ministry of Justice, which had helped to build it, they'd gone off. They'd just stopped using us. My dad hadn't even noticed because he'd not been at work for that long. And he kind of just like, he was getting older and all of that. He didn't really notice. So actually when I went in, it was like 60, it was old 60 grand. And this sort of quarter of a million pound turnover was, you know, on a run rate of, I don't know, about 80 grand a year. And he was promising to pay me 30. So I don't know where we were getting all of this. So I was like, yeah, so it was, um, it was, a, it was a shock. It was a shock. What? So what was your first moves then when you're noticing that? So you're collecting money, you're, you're yeah. realizing that you're losing your biggest client. How did you then yeah. kind of get that evolved? Because now you're all in, you've left the police, you, you've got to make it work. Yeah. So I, I went straight back to my dad and I was like, listen, I can deal with these people that haven't paid because I've got the invoices. I'll just ring them up. I'll keep, I'll ring them up every day until we get paid. But in terms of the client, you've got the relationship. So my dad's like, what? He was like, what are you, what are you talking about? And I was like, dad, look, you know, there's no, all right. Okay. So I was like, listen, who's your contact? We need to speak to them. I know what I'll do. I'll just take him a box of chocolates. That's what I always do. Just take him a box of chocolates down. It'll all be back on. Like, Dad, it's not. It's not one miles off here. So anyway, we managed to get a meeting. He 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 arranged the meeting. We sat down. And my dad was trying his usual flannel. He was like going for it big time, you know, on full charm offensive. And it wasn't working. Uh, I remember being down there uh, in Leeds. And, um, and, and I just said, I just said, can I just ask you something? What do we need to do? What do we need to do to get this back on? So the woman said, well, that's a great question. What you need to do is get some more linguists, because it was, it was a, 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 a bilingual business. You need to get some more linguists in this area, because at the moment we're having to pay all your travel costs. We need to get the travel costs down. Like, okay. So um, I sort of left there. I said, just will you give us a month? Keep us on for a month whilst I get this sorted. And we sort of left. And I said to my dad, we're going to, and we're going to have, he was like, oh, what are we going to do? And I was like, we're going to have to get a recruiter. We're going to have to get somebody who recruits more people in that area. And he was like, oh, where are we going to find this money? But I just knew we had to do it. So I started recruiting. We got somebody in and and um, we managed to get it back on track by the end of the month. And and actually that contract, we, we went we went on to kind of increase that in the end. That became the biggest contract. Um, but yeah, that was... Amazing. And where, where did you get to then with Debonair? So I think, well, when I went in 2014 and during about a four-year period, we grew from, from quarter of a minute. My dad took a big step back. I managed to get, we managed to get things back on, on the rails and I, I went off to do an executive MBA in the evenings. I started to learn some more things. Um, 
and you know I didn't really know a lot if I'm being honest I was kind of winging it as I have done a lot of the time and um and and we managed we managed to move forwards and I think commercially we grew from a we grew from 250 turnover to about two million during that four years um we went from sort of um, three, four staff to about, I don't know, I think it's, it's highest, about 17, 18 staff, um, bigger premises, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we had a really, really good time for those four years. It was year five when it all changed. Yeah, and so how was your dad when he was watching the rise of the company then that he'd handed across to you? How, how uh, he, did he leave you to it? Of course he left me to it. He'd been going at it for eight years and it was a quarter of a million quid and now suddenly there was loads more money coming in and he was like retired and 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 getting probably more pen, more as a pension than he'd ever earned as a you know as a worker if you like or you know during his working life. So now he loved it. It was do you know what it was a fantastic time that it was a real proud, proud moment for the family, obviously, in terms of us growing the business and I guess, you know being able to to provide a, a different standard of life um, for our for our families. Um, that was a real, a real good time. So, yeah, and, and just as you're talking now, and, and you said the four years was great and then year five hit and, and I, I must have met you in year five, you know, in the fifth year of that business. So you talk about the pride that you had with yourself, your family, your dad. He's, he's finally realised the dream. He's retired, he's earning more money he's ever earned. And then year five hits. So tell, tell us about year five of when you start to realise actually things aren't going so well anymore. Well, I, th I think, I think the, the first sort of challenge was we, we were so deep in with one client in terms of Ministry of Justice um, at the time. And we were just, it was just, it was so tight, so risky. And, and basically what happened was they began to squeeze the margins. So they squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. Uh, we didn't have the infrastructure really to, to kind of, or the knowledge, the ability, I didn't have the knowledge or ability to kind of pivot or move at the time. And um, and yeah, it just became tighter and tighter and tighter. And we were hanging on. I was trying all different things. I launched a franchise. I launched um, a recruitment company from inside the language company. Um, I, you know, I was trying all different things, but it's just over that sort of six month, 12 month period, it just squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. Um, all sort of all culminating in. Um, well, I was I, I became quite ill actually under the stress of it all. I was quite ill, um, sort of back end of 2018, early 2019. Um, managed to kind of get back on my feet, and then yeah, we, we kind of um, we ended up um, sort of moving into the summer 2019. That's when kind of the bomb hit, if you like, and um, I was told the business was going into liquidation. And how was that for you then, having to kind of deliver that message back to your dad after he's had four amazing years? I mean, I think, I guess he knew it was coming. I mean, we, we hadn't paid ourselves for like six, the first six months of 2019. We hadn't paid ourselves, paid everyone else, but we hadn't paid ourselves. Um, we, we were hoping we, we, we put some personal cash in as well from the business. Um, but we knew it was, I guess he knew it was coming. Um, it was but for me personally, it was just horrendous. It was just horrendous. All the pride that I'd had of growing the business and being able to provide this life for sort of my mum and my dad and the kids and Laura and my wife and, and all of that. Suddenly then that becomes like guilt, really, because everything that you've provided is now going to get pulled away. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's about as low as it gets, really, that. 
and and when you say as low as it gets kind of you know I think often it's the people around you that you feel like you said there the guilt of what you'd achieved that actually that's kind of now no longer there and it's become a part of your everyday personal identity you've achieved this you've you've managed to take your dad's company to this level and you get the pats on the back and everything's going really well and all of a sudden now you're realizing that you're gonna you're gonna go for a real phase here of you're gonna yeah. be in the trenches for for quite a while but when you say you felt really low and you was down and you know you start to look at it and go what do we do how did you start to compose yourself through through that period because lots of us on here have been through all different things whether it's relationships businesses sports that's ended family uh, grief loss everybody that will listen to this will have been through something and it's how you respond in the moment which i believe defines that kind of where you do go next and you might get it wrong another four or five times how did you kind of compose yourself to look at it objectively to then two years later be sat where you are today so i think i think firstly it's important to say like how when i said before as low as it gets i mean i'm not comparing this to some to some other things that are more life-threatening but for me you know if you want to talk about me personally here um in in terms of you know, my my personal situation was I was just absolutely distraught. Like I'd, I'd only ever won. I'd literally only ever won. And then I'd gone into this business that my dad had been kind of bumbling around a couple hundred grand and taking it to two million pound. Like whichever way you paint it, like I thought I was the man. I thought I knew everything. Um, so there's that element first and foremost. And like there's a couple of things that I discussed with you, Luke, where, you know, friends or friends that I thought I had you know, um, really kind of shunned me. Um, you know, there was a point where, you know, um, I hope you don't mind me swearing because it's part of it really, but basically um, a good friend of mine was out and about drinking, larging it up. And when the business went under, was like heard to say, oh yeah, we, we, we don't call a, a fuck up a fuck up anymore. We call it doing a manny, which is my nickname. We call it doing a manny, that's a fuck up. Um, so he was like supposed to be a close friend of mine and he's throwing digs in and I just, you feel like you're getting it from everywhere and then you've got the guilt of the kids and Lauren and everything else um, and my mum and dad who couldn't, you know, how they're going to be able to pay their mortgage, we're cancelling Netflix there. So I think in that moment you are literally reeling. I think the first, the answer to, to actually to your question now, set the scene really, is having great people around you. That's the first thing that you need. Um, you know, I've spoken to a few people on here and we talk all the time about having that, those great people around us. And the first one I want to talk about is my wife. You know, I told you a story before, Luke, about when I go to see the liquidator uh, and I walk into the liquidator and he, the first question he asked me is, does your wife like you? And I'm like, I think so. And he's like, no, seriously, does she like you? Because usually when a business goes down, a guy comes in here and then his missus like gets rid of him as well and then he's dealing with a divorce and and all you know all of that stuff as well so but i was really fortunate my you know my wife and i've been together since we were very very young and we're really really strong relationship and in that moment where i lost control uh completely where i didn't know where to turn or what to do um she was just amazing you know she she she's um an nhs worker or she was she, she immediately just kind of started booking shifts and sorting money out. She sat down, went through, she did all of that, you know, canceling the Netflix, canceling the Sky Sports, 
doing all that stuff. And then after she'd done it with me, she went to my parents' house and sat with them and went through their bank statements and all their bills and was talking about how to, you know, for them. So the first thing is is to have good people around you. And the first one that I want to talk about is is um, is my wife because she was the, the, the you know, the springboard really. And then the second one, mate, without kind of trying to make you fit, you know, without trying to put you on the spot was you, like literally those calls, you know, me kind of breaking down, Lauren kind of holding me up and then me speaking to you and your gift of allowing people to speak and allowing people to kind of unwind and come to the right answer, um, which I think was the only way it could have worked. So if anybody had tried to kind of drive any kind of opinions into me at that point, it wouldn't have worked because I was so overstimulated with everything that was going on. I needed somebody to literally just listen to me um, and then kind of nudge me in different ways. Um, and, and the call you're talking about there, I, we, we was actually in Portugal at the time, a holiday that we booked, I didn't want to go on. And we're in Portugal, the kids and Lauren are in the pool and I get the call to say the business has gone under and uh, I'm looking at the kids and Lauren thinking, oh my God, what are we going to do? What we're getting back to when I lose the house? And, and I'm sure you remember, but we ended up speaking, didn't we, for about two and a half hours, didn't we? Um, yeah. Uh, from, from Portugal, I rang, called you and we spoke for two and a half hours. So I think, I think the main thing about composure, the composure element is, is, to, is to surround yourself with good people, to have a real good support network um, and, and, um, and, and to constantly work on that network, no matter what, no matter whether it's going well or it's failing your life or business to constantly work on that network, keep that network of good people around you. Great people is so important yeah. in these moments. That's what helped me. To, that's what helped to compose me. I think that's so interesting because I, I, I do remember the call and I, and I remember I was literally just about to go into the gym and I parked my car and I thought I've got time for a workout before wherever I've got to be next. I thought I pulled up at the gym and I saw you'd call me and I rang you back. And then you're right, we stood for a couple of hours, two and a half hours, whatever it was. And it was kind of, I was just listening to where you was at and I could hear the, well, the anxiety and the, and the fear within your voice, because obviously it's like what, really when you're in that position, because I've been there myself, I also knew what it felt like to be losing everything and, and not know what to say, how to say it, who to turn to. You've got to all of a sudden become very vulnerable, but yet you've been seen as somebody super strong that people come to. And now all of a sudden you're having to ring somebody else and go, what do I do? Where do I go? Like, how do I go from this place to get my life back on track? But what I always admired about you and still do, that you always had optimism within your voice, even though you was, you was fearful of the position that you was in you was always optimistic and you always lived in hope and you always knew that there was something greater. And I think that there's a lot to be said there for the dream and the creator, the visionary, that you was in a real bad place. You was in a dark place. The main thing is your health was intact. Although your health wasn't so great, you had enough health to be able to go again. And I think often now when we look at your situation two years ago, and we've talked about different situations in my life and in your life, when you feel that you're at that place, if you've got some, if you can put one foot in front of the other and yeah. you can keep breathing, you can change everything else. But at that point, when you're in that dark moment, you feel like it's suffocating. You don't like, yeah. it just feel like everybody's on top of you. You dread the phone calls coming through because the Wibel numbers start to ring. The debt collector turns up at your door and now he's taking your car back. 
and it gets very real and scary and frightening. And when you're in it, it, it does feel like there's no getting out. But what I always loved that when you made them calls, even though you was going through that, you were still thinking, but what could I do? Like, how could I do it? And, and I remember, you know, we started to, intru- I mean, I, st- I remember introducing you to, and now a very good friend of ours, David Baldwin, and then you meet David. And then he throws a few ideas in the mix of what you can do. And before you know it, what you did that was really clever, and I don't think you did it on purpose. I think it was just, when, when you're, I really believe that when you're a good person, people will come to your rescue in the time of need because you've been there for many other people's rescue too. And I think that in their moments, somebody just comes along and somebody's just there to say one thing that gives you that little glimmer of, come on, keep fighting here. And you've got your wife there that's going out to do the shifts and she's not leaving you. She's supporting you and encouraging you where some people are left to their own devices. But the optimism that you showed, Paul, through that time was so admirable. And you still show it now, even if you do have a challenge now. But whatever you go through now, it's kind of, I guess it's a lot easier, isn't it, than what it was then. So when you rang me and you're telling me about the company's gone under, you're losing everything, you go through all that process, how do you then start to get going again? Because you've got all the, all the, all the rubbish that's hovering over you. You've got the, the bankruptcy, you owe these people money. So you've got everybody ringing you that wants everything from you. You also as well had a team of 17 people, which what I loved about what you did, you found every single one of them an opportunity to get a job elsewhere while you was going under yourself, you still found it within you to provide them with an opportunity to get placed in work. And, and, and I thought to have enough about you to go, my life's going, but I'm going to help you find a job. I thought that was just so good and, and such a strong trait to be able to still care about others, even when the shits hit the fan for you. How did you then start to then look at what am I going to do next? Because I've got this cloud over me. So, so I think, I think what I am, um, and, and maybe not in, in, in the worst terms, because it sounds, it's not a great term, but I'm, I'm an opportunist. So in, in every conversation, even now, no matter how bad the conversation is, I, I do naturally search for the positive that I can just drag out of there. Well, yeah, we might have done this. We might have lost that. But actually, we've still got this. And that gives us, you know, a bit of hope to move towards this. And I think the conversations with you, because you are so positive, it was good because you were saying, speak to David. And, you know, actually, David's then saying, well, when you get home, I've got a guy that can give you some advice when there's liquidation to protect you some. So I'm sort of saying, my my mind then is grabbing onto, oh, yeah, I'm quite lucky, actually. Because I'm going under, but I've got this guy who's going to give me some advice so that maybe I don't lose my house. So, but that is kind of the way that that is, in fairness, the kind of gap, the way that I am. And I suppose that's how I found that optimism. I think also what you tend to do, and, and you guys will definitely do this is, as professionals, is you want to click into like a professional mode. So, you know, you talk about the guys getting a job there. Like these, I feel inherently responsible for the people that I employ. Like I told you that I, I haven't paid, we haven't paid ourselves for six months, including my dad, right? But during that time we'd paid them. And, and on the bit on the on the day that the business went under, my, my financial, uh, my finance manager rang me up and said, Paul, I've just just want to run something past you. The bank's just released 30 grand to pay the staff, 35 grand to pay the staff. I know that you and your dad haven't paid yourself for six months. We we're already getting dragged into the scheme now. 
with um with 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 the because because it's going to liquidation and actually we will get paid staff will get paid we won't get paid tomorrow but we might we will get paid in about four weeks by the government so actually we'll get our money but it's going to be four weeks down the line and I remember I was in the back garden which is just sort of this way and I was pacing up and down and she says it's 35 grand here Paul she says I know that I'm killing myself here but you've done so much for us do you not just want me to pay this 35 grand to you you know just to try and help you out you and your dad and and, because you've not had any money for six months And, and, and I just I sat and I thought no, I can't do that because there's going to be 20 people tomorrow that need that money to pay the mortgages and 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 it's my responsibility, and 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 I think I, I, it it makes me sound like it makes it sound like I was doing a really honourable thing, and maybe I was doing an honourable thing, but actually it was more like I want I wanted to remain in that process mindset that they're my responsibility, and that's the reason as well why I set myself this goal of getting every single one of them a job. You know, once it went down, I sort of said, right, I can use all my network. Who wants a job? It was all like, I want, I want, and I was like going to my network saying, do you want this, do you want this? And I managed to find everybody that asked me, I found them a job. And it was just like something I could tick off because my life was so crap. It was like something to do that I had to do. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, sorry, I've forgotten what the question was. But yeah. No, no, it was, it was how you managed to find the composure and the capacity yeah. to, to think of what's next when you're trying to find people with jobs, when you're trying to deal with debt yeah. collectors. How did yes. you then create the next creation? Right. So, so, sorry, yeah, sorry. So I'm going through this process and then I'm getting to the end of that. And I'm, where, where am I going to, what am I going to do from here? And then if you remember the further conversations that you and I have, I think, it, well, I can't remember if it was you or I, but I think it was you who started to say, you need to think about what it is that you want to do. And this was the first time that I started to think about the fact that, you know, I trained to be a teacher and then became a police officer what does that say about me? You know, it says that I'm a service giver. It says that I'm somebody that wants to help people. And um, because those jobs, you don't join those jobs for lots of money. You join them to help people. So, and I thought, you know, what skills do I have? What, what, what um, abilities people around me, um, you know, do I have who could help me to build something that was based upon helping people with the skill sets we've got? Um, and I started to think about those things. And that's where ultimately, you know, one of my staff members who's now a shareholder in my business um, and he's very happy with that. Um, he, I, I went out to him. I had no money. And I, I remember calling him, Ted, and calling him to, um, to, to a cafe nearby and just kind of saying, said, I've got an idea. Um, sold him this idea about what I wanted to do, which was a, a, um, a values and purpose-driven recruitment business. Um, you know, lots of recruitment companies that I've dealt with in the past have been quite sharky, if you like, and I had this idea that I wanted to be really people-focused, really driven towards certain values. Um, I, I, I pitched it to him, basically, and then finished it. He was like, oh, yeah, it sounds really good, and you can have some things, and I was like, but I can't really pay you because I ain't got any money. And he was like, what? And I was like, I can probably pay you like 1200 quid or something. I don't, I can't remember what it was. I said, but I haven't really got anything else. And, and thankfully, you know, he, he believed in me and he jumped, he, he, he jumped with me. So I think, I think the, the answer to your question is that I did a bit of soul searching, a lot of it with you, Luke, to be fair to you. Again, um, you were brilliant with me in that respect. And we found something that I say all the time is my north. I found my north at that point. I found what made me tick, what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it. And um, we set off, didn't we?
Amazing. And you think about that. So you, you pitch into Ted like your dad pitched to you. But the difference yeah. is you didn't tell Ted that you could give him 30 grand a year and you had all of you were like you sold you, you sold him the dream, but then gave him the reality of, you know, if you yeah. come with me, it's going to be a hell of a ride. However, be prepared because there's no money and we've got to make this work. And what I think is brilliant there is that somebody believed in you and your vision and where you was going to take it and wanted to be a part of that. And like you said, they're now a shareholder. So the company's now close to 10 million pounds a year turnover and doing really well. And he's, he's thinking, like, what a great opportunity it was for him. Yet he was so brave to take it, which is brilliant because a lot of people have gone, I want my two grand a month, you know, or yeah. I want my three grand a month. I'm not, I'm not coming. But he saw something in you, probably not even saw anything in the business because where the business looked then is so different to what it looks like now, isn't it? From the original creation of you had an idea of what you wanted to do, but now you've got the how behind it and you've started to create the branding and everything over the last yeah. two years. So fair play to Ted for kind of coming over and trusting you and giving you that opportunity. And there's his reward of now becoming a, a shareholder. So Tell us about the early days then. So you've gone through the company, you've gone bankrupt, you've started again. What was the first three, six months like? I guess you was doing everything again, was you? Yeah, so, I mean, I was doing everything and more, really, because it was, it was just me and Ted. We had a couple of guys that came and went, and we had some bad experiences. Um, but I think what we did was we, we did stick to the values. You know, we stuck to what we are about. We had really low overheads. It was like sink or swim. You make a placement, you get paid. You don't make a placement, you're not getting paid. But we had we had a couple of clients, and we were starting to grow, and, we, we, you know, you know, we had a bit of a network and I guess those first few months, it was like touching goal. Some months we'd do okay. Some months we wouldn't do okay, but we, we, we were, we were happy enough. Um, and it got to sort of Christmas time as if I can't find this picture anywhere, but I will find it. There's a picture of me and Ted doing Christmas dinner for two staff party, right? Literally. And we just like, we'd had a couple of people who'd come and gone and they'd been rubbish. They did. They'd been terrible. They'd been lying like through the teeth about what they were doing. And, we kind of we, we I said one day oh, we're gonna have to go for Christmas dinner and we couldn't get it anywhere. We ended up in like a Toby Carvery, right? Having Christmas dinner and Ted said it's the best Christmas dinner he's ever ever had and he still maintains it, right? He <laughs> loved it, man. It was like a, a buffet one. He went back about six times. I, I, I was like, you can't eat that many sprouts, Ted. But he he loved it. He was just it, it was a really, really nice time. I mean, commercially, I think at that point in year one, um, so 2000 Christmas 2019, starting the August. We'd done about, I think about 40 grand. I think it was 43,000 pounds of turnover. So we've been, we've done okay. Do you know what I mean? Even I'd placed a couple. I don't know how I'd managed to do that, but, I'd, you know, Ted was showing me these, what they call Boolean searches and all this. I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do it, Ted, but I couldn't. He used to have to put the searches in for me. And then I'd see the candidates and I'd just speak to people. I'd speak to the candidates. And, I, you know, I made a few plays with myself at that point. But to be honest with you, we were just winging it. We were we, we, we were in the we were in the bilingual industry, um, which was the industry we've been in previously. So we knew what we're talking about around bilingual stuff. To be fair, um, but it's very niche and it's a very small market. So we've done about forty grand crisp come Christmas time, two thousand twenty. Just enough to pay to, just enough to pay for the Toby Carvery and you and Ted, and so yeah. you're having Christmas dinner. The two of you are having Christmas dinner. You you come back in January and. What started to happen then as that year got going? 
I, th I think, I mean, we've been focusing on the bilingual market, but I think, to be fair, it was becoming better. You know, we, we, we were picking up a few clients by this time. We'd picked up a few clients and, and, and we'd begun to kind of um, to generate some more money. So I think as you get to sort of March, where the pandemic hit, I guess, which is the next kind of blocker, March 2020, we were up to about 200 grand. So we'd actually done quite well. Um, we got another member of staff in, and there was like three of us at that point. Um, and yeah, it was just starting to kick off. But you know, one thing that was interesting, because it used to kill me this, I couldn't afford, so the landlord that of my old business, Debonair, that went down, he's such a nice guy. And when the business went down, he was really good with me. And I was like, I'm going to launch another business. Can I stay in there? And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, can I stay in? Because I can't go anywhere else, but I've only got 250 quid a month to give you. So he agreed to it. So I ended up in my old office where I'd had 20 people and loads of desks and everyone. And, and then the heartbreak of losing it all. And I'm back in that office, just me and Ted, right? Which was a huge office. I'm back in the office and, and, all the, and, and everything in there has got, got the business name on everything on the walls and absolutely everything. And, and people used to come in, my wife came in one day and was like, you're just torturing yourself in this office, coming in every day. But yeah, anyway, that's that was a second story. So yeah, we get to sort of March and we've done, I think about 200, 230 grand's worth of turnover. We, we're doing mainly permanent placements, a little bit of temp to perm stuff, but it was going quite nicely really. I mean, year one, you know, we're heading towards, I don't know, maybe three, 350 grand. I, you know, I would I would have been absolutely made up with that. Well, there was figures that you could only have dreamt of when you're cancelling all the direct debits oh, to Sky Sports yeah. at 30 quid a month. And then all of a sudden your business is starting to take off. And where, where did you finally get to at the end of your first year then? So in August 2020, um, we finished on um, £1.67 million. Pounds. So, no, so, so, you, so at Christmas you hit 43 grand and you're at the Toby Carvery. And then by the end of the year, you've hit 1.6 something million pounds. Yes. When you say that, can you remember what it felt like to actually realise that you're starting to get somewhere now? Can you remember that feeling of actually this is working, you know, and you're not repeating previous because that that failure, you know, I mean, let me ask you the question. When you, when you look at that then, that the business that went under, what, what did you learn from that that you started to apply into the new company? I think a focus on the numbers. Like I, I'm, as you've mentioned before, I'm real kind of, um, you know, I'm a dreamer, definitely a dreamer, always thinking about what's in front and everything else. And I never, ever concentrate on the numbers. And I think the first thing that I did was concentrate on the numbers. But the first part of your question there, I, I don't think I ever realised it. I don't think I ever did. You know, we got a phone call. I got a phone call on the 23rd of March, just after the lockdown and everything. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is it. You know, all of our clients within a week had rang uh, and said they were no longer hiring. I think the recruiters in here would definitely have felt that pain. And, and suddenly you think, oh my God, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to, you know, this is it. I'm thinking this. This is round two for me. I'm I'm back. I'm back on cancelling Netflix next month. Um, and I get this, I get the phone call from our biggest client. And in, interestingly, interestingly, right. So this client had come to me. Bear in mind, we had no money, right? They'd come to me at Christmas, um, and they'd come and said, um, oh, "Our CEO's not going to pay for the, for our uh, um, awards dinner." Um, and they're asking for some sponsorship. And I've gone to all my suppliers. And this this company's probably like 150 staff. 
company. We've gone to all our suppliers and nobody will sponsor us for tables. She says um, the, the bronze table's 250, the silver table's 500, and, and, and the gold table's um, 1,000 pounds, right? So I'm thinking, right? She says, oh, listen, I know you're tiny, but I've got to, say, I've got to ask you, like, you know, because I'm a bit desperate now. You know, if I don't get the support, I'm going to have to cancel the awards. Then I can imagine how embarrassing that is. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll buy a table. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my what? Like, if Lauren finds out about this, that, I've, that I'm going to pay somebody to sponsor their table, they're like 20, 30 million pound company, and I'm giving them 500 quid that we haven't even got right for Christmas. <laughs> but I just thought, I'm gonna, I have to do it because she was so desperate. And I thought, you know, in the police, I did a lot of interviewing, and it was all about. I'm a big believer in like reciprocal reciprocation. And I thought, if I dig her out of this hole, surely it'll help me at some point. Surely it'll help me. Um, and sure enough, on the 25th of March, two days after the thing, she rings me up and she says, um, got some good news and bad news. Bad news first. Yeah, we're pulling all the bilingual roles. Oh, gosh. The good news is um, we've won a contract to deliver all the track and trace um, workers um, for, for Circle. Turned out to be circle. I didn't know that at the time. Um, um, we've got one huge company on. We want to put a local company in. And do you know what? The first company I thought was, well, the first person I thought of was you, Paul, because um, you're lovely and you're really good with us and blah, 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 blah. So I think hopefully that was like the repayment for, for my 500 quid. And she said, do you do temps? And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course we do temps. Yeah, yeah. And I was Googling it, literally Googling it at the same time while she's talking to me because we'd never done any temps. We've done some temps of perms, but this is like hundreds of temps. And she's like, oh, yeah, do you know how to do it? So I was like, oh, my God. So I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, just get back to me with some numbers. Went off. I was on. I was emailing everybody, ringing people up, rang David. I remember ringing David. And and, and I managed to source within about three. So cutting the long story short, two weeks later, we, we had um, a, a finance partner in place, um, a payroll uh, uh, partner in place, finance partner in place, and we had 250 people starting work. And there was me and two other people. And we literally just worked 20 hours a day, just onboarding, going through all the compliance, getting them registered, submitting, next group, next group, next group. And literally two weeks later, we put 250 people in. But so what you think then, wouldn't you, that a bit of point where it's like, oh, yeah, I've made it. I'm great. Do you know what I mean? But then that is the hardest point ever. And again, anybody doing, anybody, any recruiters, you realise then the hardest point then is to manage these 250 people in work who are just like ringing you up at every hour in the, in the day saying, you know, oh, I'm, really, I'm just really bored. You know, do I have to log in today? Or can I just have today off? And you're like, no, get yourself logged in. So it's <laughs> like, it was just... So I think for probably about two months, my head was just spinning, constantly spinning with all this stuff. I had to learn about AWR and all these different things that I didn't even know about. Um, and so the answer to your question is no. I, I don't think I ever actually realised, sat down and thought, oh, gosh, yeah, we're doing okay. Obviously, looking at the bank and seeing, like, much larger numbers coming in and, and going out, I guess. But, um, but, yeah. Did you start to think, like, the pressure was off then now because you know, you're starting to bring in some revenue. You went from two, one team member, just you and one other, to, to three, to four, to five. You're starting to grow and develop there. Um, and, and I know now where you sit, and you, I'm sure you'll share that in a, few, in a few minutes of the team that you've created now, which is magnificent. You know, 
as you're sat in that moment now, because I can only put myself in your shoes where you've gone through such challenging times. You've found 500 quid to pay for their lunch because you felt it was the right thing to do. They was desperate. And you also hoped if I help somebody, somebody please help me. And then you get the call from her to give you this contract. At what point then did you start to come home to your wife and say, I think we're going to be okay? Uh, well, that's interesting because because I'd gone into liquidation, I couldn't actually be on the bank for the new company. So my wife was the gap, as you know, she was the boss for a long time. We, we, literally, I couldn't even see the bank. So the answer to your question is I didn't have to tell her. She was going, oh, look at this. Like she was, she was seeing the numbers in the bank. She actually knew. So she knew before I did, really. Um, so, yeah. But Paul, you got to share, there's a great story. I remember speaking to you once and your company's all of a sudden doing really well and you're starting to create the revenue. However, your wife's so ingrained in that cancelling the Netflix and looking at all every penny. I remember you telling me about your your allowance and your... your <laughs> <laughs> t t share with us if you don't mind you don't no. have to talk about the, the allowance numbers I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you I'll tell you I, I, listen well I'll say at the end what I, what I what it is but basically we got to this point where we had no money so so we we had overdrafts but we didn't have any cash obviously at the start so what used to happen was and bearing in mind that all the money that gets earned really in the house by this time is me anyway. So all the money gets paid into into one into a joint bank account, and then my and then my wife and I I would I I'd, I'd be able to like sort of use my, I'd be able to spend, but essentially I was spending on my overdraft, right? So then at the end of the month, my wife all she would pay she would go in the bank because I couldn't even get in the bank, and she'd transfer our our wages across or our money across, and then she'd say um, how much have you spent this month. So I'd, be like, I'd have to go in. I'd have to go into my bank and look how much I was overdrawn, and I'd be like two hundred and ninety-eight pounds. She'd be like, right, and she'd just transfer that all. So just take me back to zero. And and at one point I thought, Do you know what? This is domestic abuse. Like this is really bad. How bad is that? That I'm literally right going. I, that she resets me to zero. Right, you know, demeanings that she resets. I'm going out to work, like working every hour God sends, and I come home and she's resetting me to zero. But this is not happening in month two or three. This is happening when we're doing 150 grand a week for track and trace. I'm this is still happening. I'm working all these hours, and she's just resetting me back to zero every at the end of every month. <laughs> I remember you getting questioned about your amount of money you were spending on Starbucks. I still get that now. Starbucks. You don't help because you're constantly telling me that I'm spending money at Starbucks. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love it. But what's really interesting there is that it becomes a mindset, doesn't it? That when you go through something, and, and my next point I want to come on to is that when you go through any kind of trauma in life, it doesn't just leave you straight away, does it? And no. we've had many phone calls over the last 12 months where things have been going really well, where you're still sometimes you've been still caught in the previous moment when you're looking to make decisions for today. So you've often thought, can we bring in this new person into the team? And you're hesitant because the feeling of what happened before is still there. It's like a scar, isn't it? It's there and you're in between. Tell people about that, of how you've managed to move away from that, what happened to make better decisions today as you are today, rather than making decisions today with how you felt two years ago? 
I think it's really difficult. I think that is a really, really difficult thing. I think that when when you're not emotive, when you're not feeling emotional, it's it's actually quite easy to do. So you're able to kind of, if you like, um, compartmentalize those feelings. But it's very difficult when you've gone through so much pain and they'll, they'll, you hit those triggers again. You know, should I should I bring a marketing manager in? And then part of you thinks, well, the last time you brought a marketing manager in, it didn't work. So you think, well, should I not do it? Um, and I, th I think, again, it's all about kind of, again, um, getting having the right people around you, um, having those conversations, um, which, which is which, which will ultimately kind of push you forwards, if you like, um, in towards your goals. And having those conversations, being really kind of um, strong-minded about where you want to go. But I'll be honest with you, Luke, I, I wouldn't say that I'm great at deciphering that. I would say that quite... You know, a lot of the conversations you and I have are when I get to a point and I know it's the right thing to do, but something in my mind saying, oh, it caused you a lot of pain last time. Yeah. And that's the benefit of, like you said earlier, having great people around you that you can yeah. you can share with what you want to do. Then you've got somebody there to make sure to guide you with the numbers, that it's the right thing from the numbers, the commercial side. Then you've got people that are there to support you with the decisions morally and challenge you when necessary. And then you make your decision based on the present and the future rather than the past. And I think yeah. it often happens in relationships, doesn't it? That people go from a relationship that's not worked and they go into the next one with the same mistrust for the new person because of the last person. And then it affects the new relationship. And I think it's the same in this kind of thing that if something's not gone well, not letting our previous experience run into the next one and realizing that actually, I'm just feeling that because I've taken my place back to that point. And what you've done really well is you've allowed yourself to be challenged by the people around you. And you're certainly not somebody that surrounds themselves with, surrounds themselves with people that just agree to make you feel good. You, no. you, you seem to enjoy being challenged and, and you seem to enjoy somebody that can change your mind too. Something you said to me a while back was that someone in your team came up with an idea that you'd not thought of and you just loved it that somebody had created an idea that you'd not had to put that thought capacity into because without the people creating things as well as you you're only going to get so far aren't you um just share with the just share with the people listening what's the ambitions for you now then so you sit here potentially going to reach 10 million pounds within your business you're employed you're employing more and more people you you know you, you you're giving thousands of people an opportunity to get great jobs all over the country where do you see it going for you not just the company but what's your ambition for you because i know you're always thinking what's next and thinking forward where do you want to go I, th I think what i enjoy the most about the business genuinely and, and people might believe me or not but what I enjoy the most is the effect that we have. You know, I said before that part of the soul searching that I had around being a teacher and then becoming a police officer is that I'm a service giver. I love the fact, I love the fact that we've helped. I think that last month, um, in the month of May, we just published figures that we've in positively impacted 687 people um, into, with new employment, um, as well as we, we do like a multiplication around some of their family members. So we know that if someone gets a job, an average 2.4 people benefit from one person getting a job, maybe children dependents, but that we've, we, we've improved those 684 um, kind of those 687 people, um, people's lives. And, and think the, the thing for me is hopefully, I guess, 
and with the business going in the right way and, and us seeming to, to, to do quite well from with this mindset, I think what I'd like to do is more heuristic things. And I know that you, you know we've just got involved with lots, with three charities actually that we're helping. Um, uh, and, and I'm particularly sort of into um, uh, sort of helping with homelessness, uh, something that I really, really, you know, care about. And um, so I think from my point of view, what I'd really like to do is is move forwards with that stuff um, and, um, and and be able to spend more time if you've got some if you've got some financial freedom and some financial kind of um, stability, then you're able to do some more stuff that you enjoy doing, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. And for you, Paul, how would you how would you kind of um, how do you foresee your role now? Because before you was doing everything. You know, you're, you're right in the mix, doing all that you can. What do you see your role now of it within the company? Um, so, in sorry, <laughs> wife just walked past. Um, I, I told you, Luke, I said she wouldn't just stay out, didn't I? I did say that. Um, I think my, my role in the company has obviously changed um, dramatically. Um, we've now with the team and the things we're moving on, we've put sort of bigger infrastructure. We've got an operations director in, we've got a general manager, we've got some other some other sort of senior level people in there as well as as well as obviously all the team that are in there. And I see my role really as, as a as almost like a pastoral role within the company. It's important that I keep that the strength of vision around our purpose and our 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 values moving forwards. Um, and I think I see that as my role really. So I, I do a lot of work around the, the strategy and what's next. But I also do a lot of work um, with the people. And one thing that I one one lesson that I learned actually was from Debonair from the last company. What happened was um, I got a lot of feedback afterwards from people saying, you know what, it was like it was it, you know for. for um, we knew it was going to do this. We knew all this, you know, as if they knew what was going going on. Um, and and I'd lost touch with a lot of those people at the end with with my previous company. So what I've done with this with Artois is is I have personal conversations with every member of staff, and I try to do that every week or every two weeks. Um, I just sit down, ask them about themselves, I know all about their lives, and what that tends to do is it flattens it. First of all, it allows people to understand where we want to go. It also gives them an opportunity to talk to me about what they want to achieve and stuff about their life, which I can then impact and help on a personal level. But one of the big things that I love about it is it completely flattens the structure of the business. It means that nobody, nobody in that business will ever build an empire within within my business. Nobody. We've got one goal. We've got we've got a real strict set of values and purposes, and and nobody will ever be able to take that away because there's that direct line to me and I'm the person that will constantly kind of push that. So I think, you know, I see that as my role moving forward as well. Yeah. And I hope people listening to this can get a feeling for more about Paul as a person, because just, just to finish to, just to finish this conversation off that it's so important that I think people hear the authenticity that you really do enjoy helping other people because I think that's why that phone rang in March with that opportunity I think that's why people was there to support you when you needed it because you are definitely one of the most kindest generous loving people I've come across in you know my existence that's without question and and you and I have been very fortunate to build a relationship up over the last two and a half plus years where 
you know, I remember when I first met you, actually, you know, just rewinding for those that are wondering where I know Paul, I, Paul invited me in or one of his team members invited me in to see Paul about doing some work with him and his company potentially. And straight away, me and Paul, honestly, we sat there, as you can probably imagine listening to us now, we, we sat for two hours in a meeting room and we were just didn't talk about anything that we were, I could potentially do with Paul. It was just like chatting like this, just got on so well. And then we left the meeting and Paul said, could you put together a proposal, Luke, to do some work with me and team and me and the company? And I said, yeah, definitely. The next day or two days later, we met at the gym. Paul was uh, sat there having a coffee and I walked in. I put this proposal in front of him and he sat there and he looked. He was like, yeah, you know what? I like the idea of what you bring. You know, we got on really well. I'm really keen. I'm really interested. And then within a short space of time, Paul's then ringing me. And I knew something wasn't right because he started to share openly that, Luke, nothing's going to go ahead right now with work because things aren't going as well as I thought. I'm like, that's okay. And me and Paul continue having these conversations. And obviously, then I find out the, the, the damage that the business is in. So me and Paul continue having the calls whenever it was necessary, just ringing me up. We're just chatting and we're just talking. And, and I want to share this with you because we never really talked about it before. And I think it's such a magnificent thing. Often many of you hear me talk about giving to give. You've, you've probably heard me talk about that. For anybody that's known me longer than a week, you'll hear me talking about just give to give, just give. and show the world what you can do and your things will gravitate towards you. And I remember Paul after about started his new business after about three or four months, he rang me up. He said, Luke, I'd love to meet up for a coffee with you. I'm like, right. Okay. I said, well, I've got a football t um, match in kind of uh, the Midlands in, in Walsall. Why don't you come along? We'll have a coffee before the football match. And then you can come and watch the charity game that we're playing in. So he said, yeah, all right. So we're meeting this Costa coffee. And I walk in and we sit down and um, Paul buys the drinks. So he gets the drinks. Um, probably worried his card's going to bounce because I know what that feeling's like. He gets <laughs> the Costa coffees. We, we sit down and um, he looks at me and then I could tell you we had something he wanted to talk about. So I was just waiting. He said, I'd like to put something to you. And I said, what's that? He said, uh, and, it, and it was so kind of his words of the support that I'd given him. And he, and he talked about that. And then he said, you know, I'd like, I'd like to uh, bring you into the business. He said, you know, we're not doing really very well. <laughs> he said, there's only me and one other. He said, we're not doing anything. But he said, I think we might do one day. And he said, there's nothing greater I would love than to be able to write you a big fat check one day and say, thank you for all that you've done for me. He said, I'd like to bring you into the company. He said, I, I don't, and I, and he says, I don't want anything from you. I, I don't want you to buy anything. He said, I'd just like to give you some shares as a thank you. And then to know that we'll continue working together as we move forward. And I was like, well, I was I, I didn't, it was hard to, you, you know, you go through life and you do things for people, but very rarely somebody actually does something back. It's just somebody else might do. And I'm sat there opposite this guy that, I'm literally just talking to because I like him and I classed him as a friend and I wanted to help him. And now he's sat there saying, I'd like to gift you some shares of my company. And he said, one of my goals is to be writing you a big fat check to say thank you. And I said, you don't have to write me a big fat check to say thank you. Just your friendship's enough. I'm, I'm cool with that. He said, no, I'd love to. So I said, well, there's nothing to lose. So I said, yes. So when Paul talks about people first and he talks about values, He's actually living it because the proof is there in the behaviors. The proof is there in his actions. Now, I'm very fortunate 
and and I love being a part of Paul's company because one day a month I get to go and work with the team. Uh, we're just creating a fantastic opportunity now for more and more young people. We're creating a, an academy and, and hence why we've been asking people that we've had on here, like Hasni that worked for Manchester United for 10 years, what does a world-class academy look like? How can we create something like that within an organisation that gives young people an opportunity to come into a business, learn the values, learn the principles, then get promoted and then become the next generation within our organisation? So for me, answering the phone for two and a half hours instead of doing a workout in a gym, it leads to me having the opportunity to work so closely to someone like Paul that I learn off all the time. Because this isn't just like, Paul doesn't just ring me when he wants something or for a conversation. I ask him about things because he knows way more than me about way <laughs> many, many things. So I ask him the same. And when he said at the beginning, one of the greatest things that he did was surround himself with great people. One of the reasons I created this group, one of the reasons that I create all that I do is because I know the power of having good people around you, of how it can help you get to somewhere that you want to in your life. And it, I cannot emphasize it enough. And every single one of you on here is listening has been on here so much because you've seen the benefit personally too. So from me to you, Paul, I just wanted to say, firstly, Thank you so much for being such a special, humble, authentic human being and, and giving life everything that you've got. And to see where you've gone to where you are now has just been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the From Nowhere to Somewhere podcast. I'd be really honoured, grateful and super appreciate any shares and subscribes possible. Please give this to any family, friends and loved ones anywhere in the world that you feel could take value from what you've just heard too. Thank you so much for your support. I look forward to speaking to you real soon on the next episode. From me to you, have a wonderful day. Take care. All my love, energy, inspiration. Luke Staten.